Welcome to an episode of Between Sets. On today's episode, we chat with USA Weightlifting CEO Phil Andrews. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Between Sets with Daz and Simon. I don't know about you, Daz, but I'm pretty excited about our guest today. He is the CEO of USA Weightlifting and one of the people at the forefront of the weightlifting boom in America. Phil Andrews, welcome to Between Sets, and thank you for taking the time to chat to us. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the time to chat to me. Oh, too easy. Well, Phil, for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in weightlifting. Uh, well, as the accent gives away, I'm actually British. Uh, not American. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've had an interesting, uh, I guess, route into weightlifting. Um, and the I, I joined USA Weightlifting about five years ago. Uh, just after the 2012 Olympic Games when I moved to the U.S. Um, uh, before that, I, I didn't work in weightlifting. It's very interesting for British guys because they're like, who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> um, so, but it's, uh, but it's, it's been a journey. Um, I mean, briefly in weightlifting, I, I started off doing our events and programs um, in, in a very early 13, and I worked with a few other NGBs for about six months too, and then... Um, I became our CEO just after the 15 Walls, um, and uh, the rest is is pretty well known, I guess. But but yeah, it's, it's um, originally British. Started off in ice hockey, um, worked in pro ice hockey for a little bit. Um, have friends who've played over in Australia too for uh, the Sydney, a couple of the Sydney Bears actually. Um, and the Melbourne Ice, so it's a quality. Yeah, I'm good. I get it. I get it. Sydney, Melbourne. You don't want to get involved there. If the answer is Canberra, if anybody asks. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, the uh, started off in pro hockey and then worked in in sort of the private sector and in uh, the gym world for a little bit too. And back on the Olympic Games through the University of East London and. Um, and then met my now wife, who and moved to the U.S. Um, she worked for the U.S. Olympic Committee at the time, and uh, yeah, worked for began working for weightlifting. Saw a lot of opportunities with weightlifting, and um, and a lot of challenges with weightlifting too. And, and that, yeah, that's it. That's me. So, what, what, what's Perfect. the biggest uh, what's the biggest culture difference, if there is one, between uh, British weightlifting and American weightlifting? It, weightlifting specifically, yeah. uh, it's difficult because I've never been honestly that involved with British weightlifting. Um, I think British weightlifting, you know, I, I obviously know the guys from the Federation quite well. Um, and I've, I've got to know a couple of the coaches over time. Uh, and one or two of the lifters. Um, having said, I don't know British weightlifting that well. Um, but the, <laughs> the really, I think it's, it's actually pretty similar between the two. Um, both cultures are relatively similar. Um, as cultures full stop, and I can definitely go into some of those differences. For example, it took me two years to figure out the light switch in America is the other way up. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. That's a real thing. Uh, I had to go back to England to figure that out. It, it's, um, with the lifting, though, I, I, it's relatively similar. I think we've we've been a little bit more aggressive in the last few years um, than, than Britain has, um, and I think there's different reasons for that. Um, I think British weightlifting is a pretty well-run NGB. Um, obviously, a massive difference from the organizations is that um, British weightlifting is, is government-funded primarily, or was. And the problems, the, the upside of that is you get great government funding for which you don't have to um, 
I guess, work for, and that's the wrong word. You do have to work for it, but it's a different type of work um, that, that, than earning the money from the public. Whereas with publicly funded organizations through UK Sport or, um, or a similar organization that's governmentally run, then you're, the downside of that, and it's interesting because I really learned this in hockey, actually, the, um, with the Newcastle Vipers, the the what happens is when you lose that funding you lose the funding and it's a crisis and that's where british weightlifting has really found themselves and i think they've they've got some ways that they can address that for sure um and um and i, and I think they are uh, and there's big opportunities for them with coaching education with membership growth etc to, to be able to fund those teams and prove to uk sport that they can get that funding back and frankly i i absolutely agree that weightlifting on at least a female team side in Britain should have remained funded. I think that the the argument the UK sport put forward, um, which was that there's no possibility of medals uh, in the future for um, Britain is probably short-sighted. Um, I think if they can medal in the gold and bronze in skeleton, which um, actually requires a fairly similar skill set to weightlifting, they're very different sports, don't get me wrong, but there's the talents that you need and the genetics you need in weightlifting and skeleton that are related. I wouldn't say it goes far as say it's similar, but they're definitely related. Um, I think that, that with a little bit more funding or a little bit more um, work, UK sport could have seen some results from weightlifting in, in, in Britain. I don't think they, they looked hard enough. And I feel bad for badminton as well, by the way, because badminton, it amazes me that the UK sport cut badminton. I, I don't really want to get into, you know, really going down a road of criticizing UK sport in a situation I'm not actively involved in. Yeah. But that's just my third party piece to it is, is look, it's very sad for Britain. They lost all their funding. Fortunately, compared to say badminton, I think British weightlifting can, can make that money back and be able to fund those teams. But I don't, I don't believe they should have been cut in the first place. Culturally speaking, there's a question you actually asked, and I'm sorry I didn't answer it. <laughs> um, it's, it it's, I, I think they're actually very similar. I mean, they're, they're a decentralized model now. We're a decentralized model. Um, and the athletes get along real well when we go to competitions. Um, you know, the, the coaches as well. Um tend to hang out a little bit i would say um so yeah I, we had in 14 we had the british over for uh camp uh junior camp uh when tamash for hair was still there and we had mercy brown come over and uh zoe uh the olympic training center in Colorado springs and it was really quite a good competition um between them chile were there as well um and then we went to the junior pan ams i think they were headed to europeans um, but yeah, it was it was worthwhile for sure. We we all uh, had a good time, and I think the British weightlifters were were pretty felt pretty well looked after over here. Um, and, and I think our guys found it pretty useful to to work out with guys. Um, Sonny Webster came to that one as well. Um, I'm trying to think of another, I think Gareth did maybe Gareth Evans. Um, but it was it was definitely a good camp and uh, uh, one that we'd probably repeat in the future. But so Phil, you you mentioned sorry. Jump in there, Simon. But I, I want to get That's straight right. to it. You mentioned when you moved to America, you saw some opportunities. Oh, I excited you, Tom. There, yeah, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, where this is going? So, yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, I, that I you, gave you fuel. 
Yeah, you know, in America, we we have much less strict gun laws than you guys do in Australia and Britain. So, you know, did I just give you guys ammo? I'm in Michigan right now. I can do that. It's... <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. We won't go down that road. I um, <laughs> got some opinions. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned when you first moved to the States, you saw some uh, challenges and some opportunities with uh, weightlifting. Do you want to let's, – let's break it down. Yeah. Let's go for it. Well, look, I think the, uh, the the number one opportunity is obviously CrossFit. Um, I think the, the the second opportunity is actually why I'm, I'm sitting here in Michigan right now, and this isn't my house, people. This is, um, I know you, the podcast won't have the video like you do, but this is, in fact, a hotel room in, in Lansing, Michigan, um, and I'm actually here speaking to the Michigan High School Association about adding weightlifting to, um, to be a sanctioned high school sport. So I think the second obvious opportunity that's never really been taken advantage of in Florida is the fact that uniquely, and I think this is where perhaps it's just usual to, to people who are born and bred in America, that we have a weight room in every high school in this country, which that doesn't happen in, in even Russia or China or the leading weightlifting world. And it's something that I feel that we should be taking advantage of. Um, and if you look at our, particularly our junior teams and, and perhaps our youth teams as well, they have a significant amount of those people come out of Florida. Why? Because there's high school weightlifting in Florida. You always notice that Minnesota is well represented, particularly at junior nationals, youth nationals. Naturally, has you divide our, our membership by population. It's actually our largest state. Um, it's not our largest state by sheer number of weightlifters, but it's our largest state when you consider population as a factor. And it's, again, it's because they have the, a really good high school weightlifting program there. Um, the difference between the two is. Florida is sanctioned by the state, whereas in um, Minnesota, it's done basically by a, a bunch of really great coaches who got together and did it. Um, so what we're trying to do in partnership with National Federation of High School Associations, um, which is uh, the national governing body, if you like, of, of high schools generally, and they oversee the state federations, we're trying to get weightlifting into, into high schools, in this case here in Michigan. Friday, I'll be meeting with Ohio. Uh, we've got about seven or eight states, including those two, that have expressed some interest. Whether it will actually happen or not, I don't know. But that's one thing that we've definitely missed, one opportunity that we've missed. Same thing, NAIA, National Association of Intercollegiate, Intercollegiate Athletics, and the better known NCAA. Um, so for, I think, most of your listeners are Australians. So the, the, the bigger schools, people like, and oh, God, I'm going to test my knowledge of Australian schools yeah. now. People like the University of Sydney are going to be yeah. in a, they're yeah. generally an NCAA school. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, and I'm going to guess this exists, Geelong Community College um, is, <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is more like an NCAA school. So it's the biggest schools tend to be NC2A, Michigan State here in Lansing. Ohio State in in Columbus, where we're going for the Arnold tomorrow, um, are both in the NC2A. NAIA schools tend to be smaller, less well-known schools. But we're fairly confident we have enough NAIA schools already doing weightlifting that we might be able to get in into that organization year one, open up more college opportunities for weightlifters. NC2A, uh, they're looking to add um, only female sports. Um and so we're we're applying wrestling and triathlon applied last year, um, and we're applying this year. We feel quietly confident, he says out loud, um, about our application there. Um, 
we've got enough universities we feel um but we're waiting to sort of see how wrestling did last year we're still waiting for the outcome of that um and to see where we might have gaps in c2a is notoriously difficult to get into so so there's those pieces crossfit when i joined was really the opportunity you know we had uh, in the single digit thousand members um and and now we're up to twenty seven thousand. a big part of that's been crossfit um and 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 how that's exposed weightlifting to more people i think what we've seen is as you put a barbell into more people's hands they appreciate the barbell and they want to be part of it i mean i'm example number one i was when i joined it was because there was opportunities it wasn't because i liked weightlifting you know i'm a pretty much an addict and can name you know, the numbers, middle names, and dates of birth of most of our lifters down to, like, number 20 in the country per weight category. Um, not that I'm obsessed with stats or anything. Um, but, the, <laughs> you know, and I truly look forward to our meets in a way that a, a weightlifting aficionado or fam would. You know, it, it, it's, I, I, you know, we're going to the Arnold in a couple of days, and I'm looking forward to seeing CJ Cummings lift. I'm looking forward to seeing Preston Pope lift, even. We're looking forward to seeing Maddie Sasser lift, and... Uh, looking forward to seeing you know every every lifter there. But, you know we have a great battle between DJ Shuttleworth and uh, Jason Bonnick even for our second ninety four for the Pan Ams. And you know probably in Australia those are two names that don't necessarily get down there. But for for us that's a really important team and a really important uh, group to have because our Commonwealth Games is really the Pan Am Games. Yeah. Um, and and the the team that goes to the Pan Ams will determine how many people we can stand to the the Pan Am Games. Um, we're in a pretty good place right now, but we've got to maintain that. So, uh, with Colin Burns currently injured after um, just hitting his shoulder at the Worlds, it means we have a second ninety four to to look for at this competition. Right. So, we're saying that CrossFit is a major part of the growth in America with the oh, weight. It, CrossFit's big over here as well, but we don't seem to have capitalized on it the way you guys have. What was your approach or sort of marketing campaign to get that bridge between the two sports? I don't think there's one thing you can point to. Uh, I think we've, as as the last couple of years, we've done some more things, but really it's it's it was becoming welcoming. And I think speaking to a couple of other federations, that's something we've done differently. Being very open to having um, our coaching courses, our, com- our local competitions in CrossFit boxes. We've been very open to having CrossFit coaches and athletes coming to our competitions and integrating with us. Our view is if you're lifting a barbell, you're welcome. Um, and that if you're, you know, obviously, let, let's be clear, code of conduct, code of ethics, all of this sort of stuff has to be there and has to be properly respected. Um, and, and of course, if you're violating any of those, we want you gone, quite frankly, you know, we've, we've, we have in the last year or so tightened up a little bit on our national events in, in having only certified coaches there. But, but for a long time, we allowed, if you had a, a CrossFit certification, you were allowed in the back room. Um, and, and that's, uh, and we have tightened that up and I think that's been the right time for that step. Um, because so many people in CrossFit have our certification anyway, it's not necessarily been a, an inhibitor for, for almost any coach to, to be coaching our events. It also allows us to put people through anti-doping education, safe sport education, um, and, and spread those two very important themes through our membership. Um, but it, it's, I think, being welcoming more than anything else, and that wasn't always the case. There's certainly been a 
a shift in in the attitude towards CrossFit within our own membership. Um, and I think having crossover athletes has really helped. Um, you know, obviously you guys have have a major example in in Tia Claire Toomey. Um, you know, I I can't remember who it was that said if you want to go to the games and you don't want to CrossFit to go to the CrossFit games. Uh, sorry, to go to the Olympic games. Having been to the CrossFit games then you have to do only one thing, which is beat her. And I think that's a, the right attitude. Um, we have, it's becoming more and more challenging to make our world-level teams um, while still doing active CrossFit rather than being a CrossFit, being a person who does CrossFit, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so yep. what I'm saying is a very serious CrossFit competitor. And Maddie Myers has done that. Um, she got injured, unfortunately, just before Worlds had a wrist injury, and um, she... He had to sit out worlds, um, and she'll be back this year. But she's uh, an immense weightlifter mm. and a very good crossfitter. We've we've had a few here in the U.S. that have done well on our junior and youth teams. Uh, Kayla Stefano won the teen crossfit games and was uh, is our American record holder for seventy nine under fifty three kilo. She missed the junior world team this year, but put up a, a nice total, seeing some progress. Um, we've seen quite a lot at the youth level come through. And, and be able to do both uh, the CrossFit Games and and be on our international teams, or and or win uh, championships at the youth uh, nationals or, or junior nationals. Um, I mean, the, the most obvious example is is Manny Rogers. Um, the in terms of transitioning from CrossFit, now Manny became obviously, as everyone knows, a, a full time weightlifter. But we wouldn't have her without CrossFit. That's yeah. the reality. Yeah. Um, even though she's from Florida, where we do have high school weightlifting, her concentration at the time was gymnastics and cheer. So she did do some high school weightlifting. Believe it or not, she was not a state-leading weightlifter at that time. She was concentrating very much on her gymnastics, her cheerleading, came out, did the team gauntlet, and then transitioned over into weightlifting after that. Um, you know, with Maddie Myers, we've talked about still doing it. Lauren Fisher was on our university and junior world teams and, and pretty regularly makes the games. Uh, Matt Frazier, of course, was on the junior world team. Yeah. Uh, he went the other way and is now a full-time crossfitter. And I think that's fair that at the very top levels, you probably have to be a full-time crossfitter or a full-time weightlifter to be at the very, very top. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that, that's probably a fair assessment. You can be both. You definitely can. There's proof of that. The other one that's interesting is, of course, I'm sure you both know Harrison Morris. Um, our 17-year-old, one of two of our U.S. 17-year-old world-class lifters, and I think that's fair to say about them, uh, youth world record holders, youth world champions, Harrison Morris and CJ. Well, CJ was, came from Beaufort Middle School. His sister was a weightlifter under a coach named Ray Jones, who's still CJ's coach, and that's how that happened. But more interestingly, talking about this CrossFit piece, Part of the reason we have Harrison is that Harrison saw Kevin Simons, his coach, doing CrossFit and said, yeah, I might like to give that a try. And then he's, you know, the, the rest is history. He showed up in a, I think he showed up in a powerlifting meet before he showed up in a weightlifting meet and something like, oh, I'll put like 50 kilos on the state records in, in a minute flat. Um, and, it's, and then came into weightlifting and uh, I mean, I still remember his first competition and I hope he doesn't listen to this because of Harrison a little bit. Um, but in 2013 at the American Open, he came in and he set, I think it was a snatch American record and then bombed out in the clean and jerk. Or it was the other way around. It, was, it might have been the other way around. And I looked and I was like, oh, okay, who is this guy? 
that must have been a fairly low-hanging American record, right? And those do exist, a few and far between now, but there are a few which are a little lower. Um, and that isn't one. That was held by a guy called Will Cohen, who was very good. He made the youth world team in 2013, earlier that year, and competed for us in Tashkent. And I'm going, oh, hold on, wait a minute. So it's I'm running around trying to find Harrison, his coach, which we didn't know. We didn't know Kevin at that time, his mom. And then, you know, we're... First of all, he's being drug tested because he set an American record. So he got bombed out and then got drug tested, poor guy. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going, hey, you're so good, they think you're cheating. He's going, who are you? Uh, British man. <laughs> <laughs> this weird British man going, oh, you need to be drug tested. And what are you doing over Christmas? Please come to the Olympic Training Center. Yeah. Um, so that was how I first met Harrison. But that's it, kind of a good example of, of how CrossFit directly Harrison isn't a CrossFitter, but why do we have him in our program or in, in weightlifting in the United States? Why does the IWF have him in their competitions? It's because of CrossFit. Yeah. You know, the other, another side is Rogue. Rogue um, is our big partner, um, and they're based actually in Columbus, where I'm, where I'm headed. Uh, they, they've had a really positive influence on making weightlifting affordable, I think, equipment-wise. Um, and, and again, have been... Um, I think a big push secondary to CrossFit because they owe their growth of their business somewhat to CrossFit, but their their interest in weightlifting as rogue as opposed to CrossFit's pure interest in weightlifting has really helped push that as well. And I think it's been a little bit quieter. So to Alico, I have to say, Alico was our partner and was partners with us for awards. Alico a few years ago chose to stop having like a, a dealer here in the U.S. and had an actual Lyco um, office in the U.S. And that's helped with, there's now a Lyco equipment in commercial gyms here in the U.S. We've actually just bought, bought somebody in USA Weightlifting whose job it is to get more weightlifting into commercial gyms, into recreational commercial gyms and spread weightlifting that way and spread our coaching courses into that market because that's the market that really got disturbed by CrossFit. As a result, they're now trying to catch up and we can exploit that for want of better terminology for further fundraising because it comes back to what we talked about with Britain that we have to generate money or stop. We have to run a business in order to support our weightlifters. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. And that's fine. We get, it's funny. We had a presentation, um, the CEOs of NGBs for, from the USOC and I shan't name the individual. Um, but the, um, they, they, put up the different sort of four buckets of national governing bodies and the percentage that they were uh, funded. And I'm like, hey, um, weightlifting here, um, that's a lot more than we're funding. We have about 1%. Um, can I send you a bill for a million dollars? I'll take cash or chip. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's uh, uh, bank transfers available in your campaign installments. Um, but the, <laughs> and they've been. I have to say, the USSC has been increasingly good to us. They've they've recognised. Having said that, they they have recognised some improvement in weightlifting in the US in our performance. Um, we we've got a couple of ex USSC people on staff who are well respected over there. Um, I have some very good relationships over there too. So that that's definitely improved. And I'm sort of jesting a little bit to yeah. say that they should give us that much funding. I, I understand the funding model and, 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 and why we're where we are with funding from them. And ultimately, to some extent, without trying to pick on Britain, and I feel like I am. Um, That's all right. Go for you know, it. Yeah. Wait, you guys are – hold on, wait a minute. You guys are Australians. It's, it's, yeah. You can't – 
We can't, can't get that by me. Sorry, I will defend my country. It, it, it's, it's, I have two countries to defend, America and Britain, and one of them imposes itself on your flag. Thank you. So it's... So it's... Anyway, um, if you look at the if you look at the British example that of, of the of the loss of funding, if the USOC's funding went away from us tomorrow, we would we would notice it, but we wouldn't notice a huge amount because it just isn't that much. Yep. So in a way, it's nice that we're generating some of our own funding that gives us some risks too. But but yeah, there's so many opportunities that creates. The other thing that CrossFit has really done, not again, it's not direct, it's it's indirect, is that additional coverage of the snatch and clean and jerk. Mm even when someone isn't doing CrossFit has been super helpful. You know, we have obviously strength and conditioning coaches here who, who work with various different organizations, you know, from football to hockey to, to rugby to, to whatever. And, and those guys are now, it's more in vogue to use the snatch and a clean and jerk, or at least the, you know, the clean and then perhaps a power snatch or a hang snatch. Um, within your program, there's, there's programs that have always done that. The SEC in particular, uh, there's a coach named Gail Hatch who really popularized the use of Olympic weightlifting and strength and conditioning in, in particular the southeastern US. Um, and, and it's really been helpful for for that to grow across the US into big 10 schools, like 12 schools. And, and those are, you know, again, I, I understand that that culture that collegiate culture for sport doesn't exist in other countries but that's that's very very important here in the u.s to to have those guys saying yes i use the olympic lifts and that bleeds down into the high school level then too and even where you've seen a non-crossfit affiliated club now our clubs have grown from just short of 200 up to 1300 clubs in the u.s and many of those are within a crossfit or they might have crossfit as part of the name so the um, the, and and many of our existing clubs moved in, co-housed themselves with a CrossFit. They might have become a CrossFit themselves. But there's also been a, a resurgence in people's interest in weightlifting, full stop, and going to a gym, just a barbell club, a, a weightlifting a standard, if you like, an outright um, weightlifting hub. Um, and, and that's been really cool to see. Um, and, and like I say, the growth's happening all over the place. There's not one thing we did, but I think the having spoken to a couple of other federations and, and why they're not seeing that growth, I think is being less welcoming to the CrossFit crowd because you've got to see, if you want CrossFitters to become weightlifters, you've got to give them a route to do that. Yeah, and you've got to give path, them a route. Pathway. has to be a pathway. That's right. And you have to accept as part of that that some of them will never become weightlifters. And some of them will use weightlifting as part of CrossFit, and they'll always only do CrossFit. They won't even compete. Some of them will compete, but their primary thing is CrossFit. Some of them will compete. Their primary thing becomes weightlifting, and CrossFit is a little behind that. And, and you have to understand that's going to be your, your, your spectrum of, of, of CrossFitters. Some will come in with, you know, frankly, lousy technique, and it will clean up as they learn. Some of them won't want to learn, yeah. you know. And it, it it's and some of them will develop into wonderful, really good coaches. And you know, again, let's talk about Kevin Simons with Harrison Morris. Probably now, I'd argue one of the better coaches in the country. Um, no offense to anybody else. I'm complimenting 
Kevin and not necessarily taking away from anybody, but Kevin's turned himself into a world-class coach. Why? Because he realized he had a phenomenal athlete in Harrison Morris and has done everything in his power to learn and everything in his power to become the right coach for Harrison Morris and the results speak for themselves. Not only that, but he's also developed a whole team behind that that are coming out of gymnastics and to weightlifting. Um, his club is actually based within a gymnastics club, which really helps him. And his wife's a gymnastics coach. He used to be a gymnastics coach. Um, Harrison was a gymnast as a kid. So, you know, I think there's, you have to understand there's going to be that spectrum. There's going to be some culture changing, going to be some, um, some differences between your weightlifters who have done weightlifting for 40 years. And, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Those guys have kept the sport going. Those guys are the sport. Those guys deserve respect from from every in every country. You know, those guys in you know in in over here we have guys like Jim Schmitz, Roger Sadecki, um, you know Dennis Sneedon, um, Dennis Reno, Ali Dreschler. These guys who have been the sport for 40, 50 years in some cases, who have coached multiple Olympic teams, and that list grows. You know, there's Michael Cohen, there's Ursula Garza Papandrea, there's uh, John Coffey, there's Robbie Gold, you know, there's so many people, both the athlete and coach side, that have, have really kept weightlifting alive in the US, especially in certain cities. Um, and they deserve a great deal of credit because without them, the CrossFit guys would have nowhere to go to learn. I'm sure that's happening in Australia. I'm certain that's happening in Britain. Sorry, sir. No, no, no. That's uh, that was my, my next question. Was that we we have a little bit of a culture shift or a little bit of a, a butting of heads at the moment in weightlifting in Australia, simply because of that success that you guys have had. So we've got a lot of CrossFitters coming into the sport of weightlifting, and there's a lot of CrossFit coaches that make very good weightlifting coaches, and yeah. and, and they come up against some of the old ideas that the old guard have, and it seems to be like a mini competition between old and new instead of, instead of trying to help each other out. Is that, is that one of the challenges that you guys have faced back trying to incorporate CrossFit athletes? Has there been any problems? I mean, yes, there has. I mean, that, that will be honest is, is that, you know, we have, we have had people who go, I don't like this CrossFit stuff. And we've had some members leave because they don't believe we should have CrossFitters as part of our organization. Clearly, we've had more join. And I think that we just spoke a little bit about that, of of there are going to be some people who come from CrossFit who do not have good technique. There's also going to be some guys who have great technique. It's a bell curve, right? So you have have guys at one end of the spectrum who come in and you go, here's a great example. Kirk Kling, CrossFit Red Zone, Red Zone Barbell Club up in Connecticut, USA. This guy showed up with some phenomenal technique on two girls, Romy and Celia Gold, and then another guy, Ken Tull. And these guys had phenomenal clean and jerk technique, given that they never competed in weightlifting ever. And I'm having to to, to get Kurt, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, and, and put him together with a mentor coach in the back room of a youth nationals to figure out how to how to you know how to understand the cards, understand the scoreboard. But these guys had great technique. So it's it's it, it's he came in. He naturally found a way to teach himself that technique, or teach at least himself how to teach that technique strong enough that, that Celia and Romy, as well as Ken, could do well. Celia and Romy, with that particular meet, Ken came a little bit later, um, and they've progressed really well. Uh, those two lifters, um, and, and you know, we 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 got 
uh, in this particular case, Kurt with a couple of guys who were open to helping him, and uh, they taught him what he needed to know on the card side, and, and it's worked out. Um, Do you guys have others, any formal, yeah. like a formal structure to coaching education? Like any- we we do we. Well, yes, we do. No, we don't. We in, in in what I'm talking about there is more reliant on noticing the problem and being willing to help out, and that's really been something our coaches have become very good at. Um, and I think there's much because we've had so many people come in. While that might have been a problem in the beginning, perhaps with some coaches, I wouldn't say all coaches. There's always been some people out there who are very very helpful to new coaches coming in, um, but. You know that that these days, I think if you show up to a meet, there's going to be people willing to help you. Yeah. Um, especially a national competition or or an American Open series, um, or a larger local competition where people reach out to me, I'm always happy to try and help them find a coach locally to them who can help mentor them. And we've had some people who've turned into, if you like, mentor coaches naturally um, as 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 the sports grow in a particular area. Um, you know, Florida, certainly Danny Camargo comes to mind where, you know, you co- might be coached by Jason Dole or Jonathan Wilson or, or even Matty Rogers now. Um, uh, but, you know, Danny is their coach. Yeah. So he's, he's helping them. Texas very much is the same way. Ursula is really the, you know, the, we call her the queen of Texas weightlifting. And I, I don't think that's underestimate, uh, underestimating the, her, her influence down there. There's Steve Galvan, 210 weightlifting, um, uh, Dutch Lowry at, at uh, in Fort Worth at Black Box Strength and Conditioning. Some of the guys up at Spoon Barbell, um, which is Dallas. Um, uh, Hyde Park Weightlifting, which is is David uh, David. Oh my word, Griffin. Um, <laughs> Picture him. I can't remember the sign. Um, yeah, Dustin Wynn, etc. Have all really come through the Ursula's tutelage, and she's willing to help them grow Texas weightlifting. Um, and again, you know that's happening throughout the country a fair bit um the it's, it's the bay area around san francisco there's a couple of guys who've been really good at helping each other out there kevin doherty from the free barbell is certainly one of them to mind um and those relationships have, have grown and those people have kind of naturally found themselves moving into that mental role as more and more of those people are interested that um we don't have a formalized version of that our coaching education system we, we have some online now, uh, but now it, it starts with level one and level two. Um, level two is advanced. Level one is the basic. And, uh, and we, we actually certify about double the next uh, biggest US NGB, which is track and field, per year. Um, so we're, we're, and that's a huge variety of people. That can be high school people. That can be personal trainers. That can be uh, CrossFits. That can be uh, strength and conditioning individuals. Um, right through to, um, of course, people who literally just legitimately want to show up and coach weightlifting. Um, and, and we don't mind. We're willing to teach those people. And, of course, we charge a fee for that. That's actually how we're mostly funded. Um, but that, that's, that's the way it is. That's what we have to do in, in, um, in our organization to, to make that funding we talked about earlier. But, yeah, I, I think that the biggest message is being welcoming and, and how you welcome those people in and how you, as a community, teach them. Um, and there are always going to be some people who think they shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you see that, by the way, in other sports too. That's not a, just a weightlifting problem. It's become a weightlifting problem with the advent of CrossFit. But if you see, for example, um, let's take – I don't know how big Taekwondo is in Australia – 
Um, Taekwondo has uh, the the uh, WTF. Oh, pause for a giggle. Um, and uh, <laughs> and the um, and the ITF. They're two different forms of sparring Taekwondo, and they kind of are opposed to each other. And, and some people believe that the ITF people should not come into the WTF side, and then people from the WTF side um, shouldn't be in the ITF side. And, and that sort of happens there too. Um, Pumsa and Taekwondo is actually the original Taekwondo. So there's some who don't believe the sparring side, which is the bit that most people know as Taekwondo, the kicking you in the face bit, shouldn't exist. Um, in the US, we have five or six different judo organizations, for example. And I'm not a judo expert by any stretch of the imagination, so uh, I don't know the detail. But again, those uh, organizations are sort of opposed to each other. And, and it's not so much the organizations themselves, it's the people within those that some are not so welcome and some are. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to credit, really, it comes down to our coaches and athletes being willing to, to welcome them. But the opportunities it's, it's opened up for them in turn is a big reason why. So Danny has been able. Danny was a cop, um, and I'm sure Danny Camargo is a coach that probably is known even as far away as Australia. Yeah. Uh, she, for those who don't know, that's that's Maddie Rogers' coach, and he's a big team called Team Ollie Concepts or Team OC, um, and uh, his team has really grown with CrossFit and really that outreach in Florida has really grown alongside it. And, and he was a cop. I mean, he was a he was a, a Orlando policeman. He was a tech, detective. And he was able through CrossFit to quit his job and go and open up a gym and do what he loves every day, yeah. uh, which is kind of cool. So it, it's, um, you know, he, he was able to do that and he was able to do that um, fairly quickly when CrossFit happened. Same for Tyrone Harvey. That, I mean, he actually was also an Orlando call. I don't know if he was in the same, it worked with Danny, any, but um, yeah, same thing happened. He was able to go and quit his job and become a call. Uh, sorry, become a CrossFit and weightlifting coach the whole time. So it's it's been great for the US. Yep. It's late in the day here, guys. So I apologize that my answers are long winded. No, no. This if not, you fall asleep no, at any point, so so no, for those listening, this is actually you guys don't get the video, but I get to see these guys' expressions. <laughs> and, and basically, Darren started that with a question and seemed remarkably interested for approximately twelve seconds. <laughs> And then what happened was, as as the answer went on, I found out that in his, if this was a judge sport like figure skating, I would have bombed out. I Right, exactly. It's zero point zero zero. You fell on your backside. It, it's it's the uh, his face just sort of dropped as the answer went on, um, and and I think he looked down, started to search for a pillow. <laughs> um, part of that is like, will this guy ever stop? It, it's, it. it's a bad choice for first in, for for interview for the for this subject. <laughs> I was hoping someone was going to sneak me a coffee, but no one, no one's done it. With with, Look, the, with the coaching side of things, I'm the one. I'm, in, I'm the one in America. If anyone's going to be snuck a coffee, it's me. Right? Mate, yeah, you do. It's, it's, that's, it's, yeah, there's there's uh, there's there's something called America runs on Dunkin. It's an advert here for Dunkin Donuts, oh. and, and it's true. It, it's it's yeah. basically if you can give me intravenous coffee in the morning, that'd be great. It's an anti-doping rule violation. Don't try it, kids. You can't have a <laughs> you can't have an IV without uh, it being in a hospital situation. But well, you can't uh, even do that. But hey. Yeah. Uh, not without it being signed off, yeah, no. Yeah. But the uh, the uh, you can't have it uh, have a have one of the meat or anything like that. But you know, if it's coffee, 
uh, for me at least, um, I'm I'm not registered with an ANGB as an app, so um, I guess I can. So it's awesome. Well, we've sort of touched on two major elements here in uh, growth and the coaching system, which I want to get back to in a little bit uh, more in depth look at it, but. They all sort of equal this uh, equation or this answer being success. And I know that Daz wants to uh, get onto uh, success a little bit, but we've seen an amazing sort of turnaround for the USA, amazing results. We got a bronze medal for you at the Olympic Games and a gold medal at a world championships and all sorts of medals in between at, at all sort of levels. What do you measure success by? And how are you going about achieving it? It's, you know, again, it, it's, Darren, I'm sorry, get your pillow and coffee. Um, <laughs> hey, <I'm laughs> it, it's, it's the, um, the, I think the, the ultimately our mission is sustained excellence in international And so therefore, you know, I, I somewhat took this job as CEO or got promoted, I guess, with the idea of winning medals consistently in the world's and Olympic games. Um, and, and that's where we ought to be. For, for those who don't know, the U S is the third most successful country on the planet in weightlifting. It's just, you don't know that because it was a long ass time ago. Um, excuse me. If ass is a swear word in the U S uh, in, in Australia, <laughs> um, it's, it's bleeping edits will have to happen later. You can listen to this with coffee later. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, the success, I think, has to be measured on the platform, at least, in, um, in, in, in ultimately what shiny things we bring back from major competition. Um, to do that, we have a lot of steps in the process. We have to support our athletes financially, um, somewhat um, emotionally is the word that's coming to mind. That's not really what I mean. It means they've got to be given the support functions that they need sports psychology, sports nutrition. They've got to have the elements that, that, that go into being a successful weightlifter and supporting them and their coach to do that. Plus, knowing that we are behind them. Um, and that's a really important piece of that. Um, and, and I think the, 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 the second piece is, you know, how do we recruit the next generation? Why are we doing things like uh, you may have noticed we're doing a huge online strongest high school in america competition why are we doing that mm. gcs is really? doing that what? actually we're, we're actually What's that? we're actually launching ours uh either this afternoon or in a couple of days time so very similar yeah and it's um it's a really cool concept and, and what we looked at was what are the most commonly used lifts in high schools in the united states and so we're doing a huge strongest high school in america rogue back and it with some equipment quite fortunately um, where we can figure out who the strongest kid in a given body weight category is in um, in a state and then in the country, and, and the same for the schools. We'll see how it goes. We plan to do a couple a year if it goes well, but you know, why are we doing it? What's the real reason? Well, it's twofold. One, we want to expose more schools to weightlifting. But the second piece of that is perhaps more important is we know that we have coaches who can get athletes to the top in this country. But what we need to ensure is the talent still floats in. And we need to make sure that anyone who doesn't necessarily walk into weightlifting or CrossFit gym is still someone that we target. And we're doing that in a number of different ways. So I can happily go into those. 
But that's, um, we're doing a little bit more recruitment than just this, but we've got to do more talent identification to, to really bring those people in. If you look at what, you know, and I, I'm going to say these names, you're probably going to recoil in horror. If you look at what Russia does, and if you look at what Kazakhstan does in Indonesia, I can see that smirk. Uh, the, it, it's the, the you guys regret the video on this already, don't you? The, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's learnings for next time. No video. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, the um, the what what you can learn from those people is what they do well. There's obviously issues in both countries, and we've seen that in particular with the IDRF drug bans and anti-doping bans of recent times. But you can, you do know that they do some things well. Ultimately, even the athletes they have, whether they're whether they've been underperforming arts and drugs or not, are good athletes in the first place. And I think everyone, even the even the most stringent anti-doping. Um, drum banger which is probably me uh would would agree with that so if you look at what they do i mean russia is very simple they go into schools they have someone like a tatiana get up and present to the school and then they ask the school if they want to do weightlifting and do a bit of a combine what are we doing we're going out and doing combines both in schools and outside why because we want to identify that talent we're also trying to get more replicate the harrison morris situation where we're seeing weightlifting gyms integrated with gymnastics gyms so we can get those level six to ten gymnasts coming over into weightlifting or double sports i don't mind that either um and try and in exchange they get stronger for their sport and we see talent coming into gymnastics uh, from gymnastics into weightlifting we're doing work with the ncaa schools on what's happening when your athletes are retiring from collegiate sport after they're done what are they doing next because if you look at our world team we had three people on it who are nc2a athletes just in the men. In the women, there was a lot of people in there that had backgrounds of different sports coming into life a little later on, uh, coming into weightlifting a little later on, I should say. So there's lots of things that go into that. Um, you know, we have to work closely with our coaches and athletes, and we don't always get that right. We're not perfect. I have to say that. Um, I think there's times when our athletes don't feel supported, and that's on me, and that's my fault, and I have to correct that where that goes wrong. Um, but the 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 whole piece has to come together behind the athlete the talent the coaching the support to make that athlete get to the top of the world that's actually a very complex thing but that's that's one one measure the second measure is obviously membership how big are we as a sport, as a sport? we have a secondary mission to grow the sport away in the united states and that also supports mission number one because members pay a membership fee which funds our international teams it also supports them because the more members you see the more talent you're seeing coming that's a natural evolution of talent that we've, we've never had any of the stuff, the programs I talked about. Everything's coming very, very organically. And it's because of the good work of the, the foot, foot soldiers on the ground, our, our coaches in the community, who are already doing a lot of very good work, in, especially in certain areas. There's some great best practices out there. And that's why we're having a coaching symposium is to spread some of those best practices. But those mem- that organic membership and that growth of that membership is really important two reasons, the funding and the growth of the sport. So it's certainly membership and, and what that looks like. That we've grown into a medium-sized NGB here in the US from, from a really tiny NGB, and that's success. That leads to financial. Um, we are a nonprofit, so we are obviously wanting to see basically either a zero or a very small surplus each year, which means we're putting money into our athletes over here, into the performance part. But ultimately, we've got to generate that money. 
So, you know, we've grown just in the last year, we grew just over a million dollars in our, in our income. And that means we're spending more, uh, but it means we're doing more. Um, so you've got to generate that income. So there's, 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 um, there's metals, there's members and there's money. The three M's is what I call it. Members, money, metals. And for any decision that we make in USA weightlifting, we try to look at the two of those three being affected positively. Um, so does it drive membership? Does it drive money? Does it drive metals? And the final piece is membership satisfaction. Um, you know, we, we just had our membership survey came back. It shows an, an, another increase in membership satisfaction. And that comes, again, that's so complex. It's not, are you more satisfied? I am. But it's, it's <laughs> or no. It's, 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 you know, there's obviously a lot that goes into that. But that's, you know, that's, that, that ranges from the service you get from the national office. It ranges from your experience at the national competition. What did happen at a coaching course? You know, all those sorts of things go into your experience as a member, and and for that to grow, I'm super proud of 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 our team. That's where that's their version of. And it's nowhere near the same level, but it's it's their version of winning a medal. That's their that's the best that they can achieve. The top of their achievement is when our members say yes, you're doing a good job. We're satisfied because they're our members, our organization. They elect our board of directors. Our board of directors employs me. Ergo, the membership is my boss. So, it, it's um, and then the the other pieces I've got to mention there is obviously anti-doping, um, and which I think is a huge separate subject to all of those and affects all of them, and, and safe sport. In other words, preventing abuse in sport is a big focus here in the United States at the moment, as you might imagine, yeah. with the Dr. Master yeah. scandal. Um, but the 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 biggest one in our, in our sport is probably anti-doping. Uh, we've done a lot here in the U.S. to to really push that agenda. Um, I, I feel like we've done a, a fairly good job domestically, and I think we're helping internationally too. Um, yeah, we, we've been, I, I personally have to think, have to say the IWF has done a phenomenal job in the last year. Um, and, and frankly, what is not underestimated as saving the sport, um, I don't think a lot of people realize how close we were to being kicked out of the Olympic Games. Um, and the work Attila Damphy, the Clean Sport Commission did in particular, were, is literally sport saving. Um, and it disgusts me that some people still showed up dirty to wealth um, because that really is um, that really is the frankly the height of stupidity in many ways because you really that's a time when the sports the eyes are on the sport from everybody and you've got to be clean as a whistle and um, yeah we're one thing I'm very proud of recently is we brought in compulsory education. Um, for coaches and for athletes to appear at national events. Uh, just in one month, we had uh, 2,000 people do it. It's free, um, and it's a certification. You've got to do it to go to a national event. Um, we're the first national government body to do it. Now U.S. Triathlon is going to do it. Um, that's something I think we can really stick our, our our name on and say, you know what, I'm super proud of that. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty good with that in Australia. That's probably why we haven't won any bloody medals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but and I, and I, I get it. But I question whether it's worth it. It's yeah. you know it, it, it's it's here's the thing. If you put an athlete on the podium clean, no one's taking away their medal in eight years' time. That's right, mate. Yeah. So it, and I, I'm sorry to get very serious on that subject, but it, it's I get it. It's easy to blame the doping, and I think that's a really huge mistake too to just look at doping because if you look at the U.S. example, our our performances have gone up, yet our doping control is excellent. 
Why? Because we've got more talent coming in, which makes us more competitive, which means people domestically are trying to beat each other, which means we're going up internationally. So is it just the doping? Or is it that we need to look at other things other than just doping to be successful? Oh, I can I completely agree with you. My my biggest thing is that we don't in Australia we don't attract the key genetically talented athletes because they they've got other opportunities in other sports. So we've got a population of twenty four million people and all our best athletes are playing a commercial sport straight from high school because they can. We've got rugby players getting signed at fourteen, rugby league players getting signed at sixteen, we've got AFL players straight out of high school. We in- And you know what, Darren? Yeah. You've just given excuse after excuse. I've heard it before. <laughs> well, we're actually making steps to attract more talent. So with the the AWF we've got at the moment, we're everyone's a little bit hamstrung with their own state associations um, mm-hmm. instead of the instead of uh, one overseeing AWF things. So what we're doing with our personal training company is that we're, we're doing target identification, talent identification targeted in high schools and stuff. Um, we've targeted CrossFitters that want to change over to weightlifting. So we're, we're sort of doing that ourselves because we do want to be part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Um, and that's where it starts. And I, and I just want to kind of call you out a little bit on what you said because we're the same. We're the yeah. most commercialized nation on the planet, and I have collegiate sport to deal with too. Yeah, I've got all these – you know, I've, I've got the, in the US, we have athletes going off to, to do lacrosse, hockey, track and field, um, you know, rugby even now, yeah. um, volleyball, you name it. They're doing it at the collegiate level and they're getting a free ride scholarship for four years to do it yeah. to good universities. Yeah. And, you know, the argument has long been that the genetically talented individuals go into, uh, to go into here, the NFL, football, et cetera. But do me a favor, take a look at how many percentage of your high school population gets signed into the Rugby Super League. Get to look at how many get signed into Aussie rules. Yeah. Look at how many go into cricket and how many cricketers really are good weightlifters. Because you'll find that those opportunities are in the 0.0 something percent in the Australian market. Yep. And the remainder is your market. You think that Harrison Worth is not a genetically talented athlete? I would say he's a very genetically talented athlete. I would say the same as CJ Cummings. I would say that they could have potentially got a college scholarship in another sport. However, they chose weightlifting. They had options. They played multiple sports. But they chose weightlifting. Then that's the beauty of our sport. You know, Tamashayan wrote the book many years ago, The Sport for All Sports, and it's still true today. That it's the reason weightlifting is is such a great sport, and the reason why we have so many people being certified for coaching education is because you can use this sport to get better at anything. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. it's you know if you look at California strength, what's California strength? And you know the weightlifting team, I think Cal strength. Yeah. What does Dave Spitz actually do? He trains people for the NFL Combine. NFL combine, yeah. Right. So he's, that's the business side. He does the weightlifting side for the sport. That's his interest. If you look at um, Kevin Doherty, why is hassle-free so successful? He has access to two high schools, one of his high school and Paul Doherty's high school. And everybody coming through there has to do weightlifting for strength and conditioning. Why? Because their ADs recognize that weightlifting makes you stronger for their football team, for their track and field team. Yep. Now, some of those people go off to get great scholarships at different universities playing football or, or track and field. Here's your attitude change you need. Don't say, 
all of our talented athletes in Australia go to these sports. Instead, look at it. How can we help people with those sports? Because if you if you play the percentages, just play the numbers. Let's say you have 100 talented athletes, really talented athletes, right? One of them's going to go to a, to get signed by a rugby team. And here's your advantage. They're getting recruited at 14 in Australia. Yes. Cool. So look at the 14-year-olds. Are you signed to the rugby team? You're not. Cool. You're in my target market. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's, and that's where you know we have the same here. People are getting recruited into universities younger and younger and younger and younger. Yeah, we had a, 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 this huge beast of an athlete named Jackson Ramey. He was 13, showed up, broke all the records. Cool. And then starts getting recruited by Auburn, by Georgia, by Alabama, by everybody to play football. Why? Because he's world class. He's great. He should be being recruited. The answer to that is nice job and come back and do weightlifting when you're done. Omar Cummings is the best example. He got recruited to play for South Carolina State in football. That's that's huge. South Carolina is a massive football state. Not that there's a not massive football state in the United States, but there are. You know, the South is particularly big in football. And so he gets to go off play in front of a stadium full of screaming people for four years. And after that, he can come back into weightlifting. Yep. Good job. Yep. So that's the attitude to take. And I'm sorry, I'm a little bit passionate about this subject. It may or may not. Oh, no. no well, you're, you're, actually, you're actually on our side of the fence with it. Yeah, like, mate. We, we, <laughs> I got introduced into weightlifting when I was uh, 16 because I was, I was, my coach was my rugby coach. Um, used, we used the split snatch and the split clean and jerk to develop foot speed for, for rugby. So that's always been my... Um, bane of existence with my brief experience in weightlifting is that coaches typically only want to have athletes that devote themselves wholly and solely to the sport from from the get-go yeah and 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 the other side they think weightlifting coaches think that they own the snatch and the clean jerk which pisses me off because i'm australia's version of the cow strength guy i train rugby players and i use weightlifting and it just so happens that because of that like i'm i'm a half decent weightlifting coach only because i've been doing it for so long but it's not yeah, it's just physics. Just pull the bar vertical. That's basically fucking it. You can you can do it in in most sports. Well, and yeah, and that's and, and we don't own the snatch and the clean jerk. Where we should be is the experts in the snatch and the clean. Exactly, and that's, that's where, the big difference. Yeah, and and that's where our coaches, I think, have made money from from not just our coaching education courses, but their own too, uh, of of really teaching the snatch and the clean and jerk onward. And that benefits us long term because those people are using the snatch and the clean and jerk. In their in their everyday program, they're coaching somebody. When you teach somebody how to snatch and clean and jerk, and you're asking them to teach somebody else, they're teaching someone. Yeah. Might not be a weightlifter, but they're teaching someone. Yeah. And I, and I think that's you know the other thing is yes, there is definitely a uh, somewhat a you know rings in their eyes type deal of of coaches who believe that weightlifting weightlifters should only be weightlifters, and that's fine. That's the athlete's choice. Yeah, that's right. There are there's evidence to to show both ways that multi-sport athletes do better and the single-sport athletes do better, none better than Harrison and CJ. Yeah. You know, Harrison and CJ, CJ's been more of a, a, a really an exclusive weightlifter. Uh, Harrison's done a little bit of other things, especially in his younger years. Uh, he was a gymnast, and he's done a couple of other different things. Um, and gymnastics is, 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 in my opinion, the best transfer. But the um, the... The, the idea that, that you can't have weightlifters or weightlifting success in a nation because that you have commercialized sport is, is beyond crazy. Well, we, we, um, haven't, we haven't had it so far because we've, we haven't had the, 
I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody, but from the outside looking into the AWF, it looks like we haven't had the impetus to get and win the hearts and minds in high school to show kids that there is another opportunity. Because in, in Australia, all you see is the sports on the free-to-air TV, and that's it. Because we don't have weightlifting in high schools at the moment. And you've only got, you're only introduced to weightlifting if you do have a rugby coach or an AFL coach that's aware of the lifts and how they do benefit athletic development. So up until... So ask yourself this. I mean, I know you are. Yeah. But what are you doing to change that? And it's, it's not just on the AW... Look, if the AWF isn't doing it... Yeah. And I, I don't know the AWF well. Uh, I know a couple of people who've been associated with the AWF. So I, I really don't want to say, hey, they're doing something wrong or right, because I just don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. But the you know, And I also don't know what their funding situation is. There's many years where we wanted to do stuff, we just didn't have enough money. Yeah. So it, it's all contacts or gravitas um, in some cases. So I, I don't really want to go down that road, but it, then it becomes on the coaches on the ground. You know, It becomes on going to your wherever you live, Go into your local high school. How can I work with you? How can I work with you to introduce this national clean and jerk to your kids? Not take over, but how can you work with that rugby team or that cricket team or that Aussie rules team? Or um, I understand the free wear model because, of course, hi, British, BBC. Um, <laughs> um, you know, grandstand, da 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 And, it, and it is, it's, it's, um, it's tough to build sports. It is. It's tough to build smaller sports in any context. U.S., Australia, Britain, Germany, what have you. But you, it ultimately comes down, first and foremost, and I'm not blaming the local clubs, but it does come to them first. Yeah. But that's where your groundswell comes from. Yeah. They're, they're the the feet on the ground. The that's right. Because bringing that groundswell together is really what will eventually crack back. The the AWF can only probably do so much. Yeah. But you know, we've we've where the keys to our success when we have success with the high schools is always having not only us speaking to them, but people on the ground. Yeah. And and you've got to identify who's proactive and who's willing to do that work and who's willing to go out there and recruit, who's willing to go out there and build those relationships. And it comes down to relationships. And where else can you build weightlifting? We're looking at how do we bring weightlifting into Boys and Girls Clubs of America? How do we how do we bring people into the YMCA's to do weightlifting? And, and how do we do weightlifting in places like Lifetime Fitness and and uh, and Twenty uh, Four Hour Fitness? How do we spread weightlifting there? Um, and by the way, when we get into high schools, we actually hurt ourselves because you don't have to be members of USA Weightlifting if you're lifting in a high school competition in the United States um, because it's sanctioned by the high school. Therefore, the insurance drives that way. Yeah. So it, it's we, we sort of hurt ourselves in some ways, but the longer term is better. But it, that's I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize coaches in Australia. Please don't get me wrong. No, we're not either. <laughs> it's it's oh really? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you go about how do you go about living in America with with your uh, with the British sarcasm, British and Aussie sarcasm? Do they have they? How long has it taken for them to get it? It is. It's. I think it, some people look at me like I've just basically, I don't know, defecated on their desk with whilst looking them straight in the eyes. Uh, <laughs> um, it's. It, it's. It's. Um, it, it's. It's. It's just kind of my personality, and it always has been. So it, it's. It, it's. Most people like it. There's uh, our our board actually plays something called British Lingo Bingo, which is occasionally when I, it was something British comes into what I'm saying. They're like, "What did he say?" It's, it's, 
what does he mean? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've been here five years now, so I've become a little bit Americanized. And there's certainly some things. I'm actually going to England this weekend. And I'm certain that I'm going to get some ribbing back home for, for sounding American, saying things in an American way. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I am certain that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because it's, um, it's, I choose to live in America. I don't have to live in America. Um, and, and that's part of, of choosing to live in a different country. But I, I mean, I, I have said a few times that, you know, ultimately I'm British and now I'm trying to, uh, to, to win medals for the old enemy. So at some point I'm going to prison for treason. Um, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I have Canadian citizenship as well. So. Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes a difference. Mate, tell me what organized. But that, I think what... that's the key attitude that's got to change though, is the one you just talked about. Yeah. Our problems are doping. Our problems are that all the athletes are going to the AFL or what have you. Well, the Collingwood Magpies only have so many players. Yeah. Um, and and that's and that's what you have to look at is play the numbers and you will get there. Weightlifters are generally shorter than pro sports athletes. Yeah. That's the that's one of the key things. That most athletes who are great at weightlifting, particularly in the non super heavyweight categories, particularly in in um, in women, obviously, is is does not really affected by that at all. Yeah. is um, in Australia, as far as I know, the um, is is those people who are generally an Aussie rules player is taller than your average weightlifter. Generally, a, a, a rugby player, and I'm a former rugby player, is is taller than your average uh, weightlifter. Not necessarily a super, other but other yeah. categories. Sometimes not at 105 either. But the those that's that's your numbers. On the other side, your women's teams. I mean, come on, it's it's. That doesn't exist in your women's teams. So if that if that argument was truly there, that would mean Australia's men would be like this, and their women will be like this. Mm-hmm. And and that's not the case. So you got to be able to bring those up together and yeah. go out there and find those athletes. And they're doing. You know, if you look at gymnastics and track and field, there's going to be great athletes out there already. That's before you get into more deep into women's sport in Australia. Yeah, Australia is a very proud sporting nation. Yeah, very. And we're actually, we're the best. Just per uh, capita, I'm just letting you know. But yeah, I agree with you. I yeah, also like well, the other point you yeah. made about I'm not going. I'm not going to let just, you talk. I'm, I'm not going to let you talk. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Thanks. Number one, if, if in Britain, and I have to say in the US, in Britain, when we have a guest in our house, then we tend to let them speak first. You know? um, so it's, 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 yeah. The second is, you know. And I, I can have to check this, but I am fairly certain that the, 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 the U.S. kind of trounced Australia in the medal count um, in in um, in the last uh, oh. two Olympic games, at least. We, we and, and you know, just, we always we have to get you, I, We have to. Yeah, and and, and so does Manawatu. But it, it's it's it's. <laughs> uh, I think we make that a win. Um, <laughs> yeah, that. Here's the other thing tip as well that. that you know it, it's and we could go down the old British joke route of going look. Not only did Britain GBR beat Australia in the middle count too, but we also claim anything that has the British flag oh, in the top corner. So that means we have to claim yours, yep. New Zealand's, and actually the US state of Hawaii. 
So it's, it's <laughs> a little known fact that has the U.S. Is, uh, the U.S. state of Hawaii has the British flag. Well, it's not little known to us, but yeah, you know, we have an education system. Yeah. But we do, right? And it's based upon the British system, um, which means it's amongst the best in the world. You're absolutely correct. It's, um, yeah, it's, better, it's, better than some. It, it's it's um, it, it's it's. How long would you like this to go? I've, I've had, I'm I'm a British person who lives in America, and we have July 4th. How, yes. how many times do you think I've been ribbed about my nationality? <laughs> so it's, it's, I can go for a long time. You'll get bored before I, I've already seen you get read for a pillow and coffee. I will get bored before you do. <laughs> yeah. I, t- I tell you what, if, just get back on the topic, Phil. Jesus, mate. But, but one, one, one point I really like that you made, that, that you are very happy if somebody's playing two sports. If somebody is participating yeah. in weightlifting and doing our sport, whereas up until now, like it's great with uh, athletes like Tia in Australia, um, winning the CrossFit Games, podium another two times, and then doing weightlifting on the side, it showed a lot of people that you can play two sports at once. Because uh, it, there's a lot of people like it, but there's also a lot of the purists don't don't like that. Mate, if you can tell me, what is what is something that you jumped in when you became CEO? What is something organizational? What are some organizational changes that you made to make USA Weightlifting the success it is at the moment? Again, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's very difficult to put the finger on one particular button. Do it, and I think it will be it will be really unfair for me to take very large credit for that. Yep. Um, I think a lot of people see me as the figurehead, and they might, that might be somewhat fair. And I've certainly been the person, I guess, you know, in rugby, I'd be the, uh, the number eight at the back of the scrum, like you know, making sure it moves forward. Was that analogy successful for you? Uh, that's that's okay. I was, a, I was a five eight winger, so I'll, I'll go with I'll go with the dirty pig. All right, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was a flanker. I was the guy who tackled you to the ground and then you felt a bit bad about it. Yeah, you, you do a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> quick off the scrum, quick into the tackle, take out the knees. Yeah. Um, as, yeah. as my old Welsh rugby coach would say, spine in line and dry. Um, <laughs> the, it's, it's, uh, anyway, the, I've, I've somewhat been the figurehead of that for sure in the last couple of years. Um, I think there's there's both some staff and particularly membership uh, that should be thanked for that, um, that, that driving forward of the organization. I think it probably starts with a restructure of our governance in 2009, taking away a lot of conflict of interest within our organization at that point. And we just redid that again last year. We got named the second uh, highest um, for good governance in a University of Colorado study um, behind track and field. Yeah. Um, and above all the other NGBs in the United States, which was really cool. Um, I, of course, me being me, I was like, all right, what did track and field do? Um, <laughs> so it's, um, and, um, and, and, you know, we've, we've put in some really great stuff as part of that governance, and that's really driven us forward, and, and we don't give enough credit to, to, to that base of the organization, our basis documents. You know, we've, we've, we've really made it a cleaner, more transparent organization, more trust in the organization. I think that really has helped us in the in in the last couple of years especially and that's not always been the case and let's be honest in our organization we've not always had trust uh, from our athletes from our coaches and that's really taken some time to rebuild and i think could could you give me an example of of what demonstrates that i want to try and do something that doesn't throw somebody under the bus yeah yeah we've had examples 
It is. It, we've had examples in the past where, for example, the way to become a coach on a national team would be you are on the board. Um, we've had examples in the past of where um, athletes may have been given preferential treatment on the basis of their relationships um, with a board member in particular or a set of board members in particular. That's not now. That's in the past. Yeah. Um, we've had issues with... Um, where our foundation really got took a hammering uh, because of bad decisions made by foundation board members because there wasn't good governance in place to stop that. We've had um, it, what, a lot of issues which could be summarized as, as either control or conflict of interest. And, and those have, a lot of those have been solved, and that's really helped with that cultural shift. Um, I think in, since then, and you know, I, I have to say this, I sent... Our high-performance guy, uh, Lance Williams and Mike Gatone, who's one of our two head coaches here at Mass, to British Cycling last year. And they have a saying there which I really like, which is called progress, not perfection. And that meant that you, know, you can try perfection all you want, but you're not going to get there. You've got to have incremental. Their incremental games theory is, is, is well-known in sport. But the, the progress, not perfection thing that, that really was their internal mantra is very much there. And, and every day, every time we do something, it's progress. You know, I think the, the, the way we've really started progressing now is every day we go to work, we look at what we can do better and how we can do it better. Okay, we had, you know, here's a great example of, of that type of culture. We're, we, had an, we had an issue at a local competition in Denver. We have about 650 local competitions every year. And we maybe have problems at about 40 of those. But if you go to one of those and have a bad experience, you ain't coming back. So the... The issue was the 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 meet had a had a raised platform um, in the middle of the taped off platform. Okay, the guy probably thought he was doing the right thing. So what it highlighted was not let's go and beat up this guy. It was let's put into pro into into process some better education and some better requirements for our local competitions. And so I spent the week working with our competition committee and and our chair Ursula who brought it to my attention on. How do we fix that? And we've had some good debates about you know, how we all run competitions. It helps. I used to be our events director. Um, and how do we how do we run competitions? How do you know? Do we want to allow things like t-shirts and shorts at the first competition, or not? We've always sort of allowed that, but do we want to formalize that in our guidance? Do we you know do we want to say that a taped off area on a rubber floor is okay, or do we not? So we've you know and now we're in a position where we're kind of done with that, and that's been less than a week. But that's, you know, how do we fix problems quickly, efficiently, and get our membership better, get our coaches better, get our athletes better? And how do we drive trust? And I think that's, that's those have been the building blocks. I don't think I can point to something directly. I, you know, the, a couple of things I'm very proud of, things like restructuring the staff to make sure we have people in the right slots to serve our membership and have the right expertise. That was definitely a big step change for us. Um, I think the... The change uh, of the bylaws, which was done with seven members who really sat on that review group alongside me and, and worked on that over a year, was, is something I, I'm very, very proud of and, and very proud of, of the result that's come of that with our good governance. And actually, the USSC just recognized that yesterday by putting me onto a good governance group for the all MGBs. Um, and, and so those, those are two big pockets but I think it's just progressing every time. This high school competition we're talking about is, is an example of that. It was we, we started doing recruitment by talking to different high school coaches. And actually, the reason that happened was that the, there was a coach up in Ohio, in a place called Coventry, Ohio, actually. Um, and he said, Good cricket 
Right, exactly. And it's it's um, and so he and he said, well, actually, I'd love to know how we rank against high schools, not just in Ohio, but in Michigan, in Kentucky, and in California. And so we talked about this online concept, and and by the end of that, there was an idea, and then we looked into it, and Susie Sanchez in, in my office um, took charge, and we found this Launchpad Six system, which while dance sport had used for the Youth Olympic Games, and has the right tools that we need for the competition, and you know it's a really cheap, efficient way of us reaching a lot of high school students, and either interesting them in weightlifting or being able to identify their talent. It's a small thing. We probably won't talk about that in three or four years' time. But it's, it's small progress in the way that we run our organization and in what we do. Ultimately, it comes down to the big chunks of money, medals, and members. And medals is number one. Yeah. But it really is small progress every time that, that collectively gets noticed. Why are you guys on the phone with me? Like, you're in Australia. I'm in the U.S., and, and, you know, I guess that you can probably answer that question better. What have you guys seen from the U.S. that you're going, we'd like to speak to him? Or do you think the U.S. is really terrible? And you're going, well, let's find out just how bad they are. It's, you know, it's, it's, Simon, he's on us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll cut it there. <laughs> Wait, you guys are Australian. I'm British. I see how this is working. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I see it for two things. I see, I see participation as a massive win because you can't win, like – Every house is built on a great foundation, and that's participation. And you guys are winning medals again. So I, I see success in that. Um, what, what would be something that, on an athlete's side of the fence, that you guys have introduced in the last recent, to, or to contribute to the last successes? Um, I think the biggest, the biggest one is definitely funding um, from a... Um, making sure our stipends and, and competitions are funded. We send full teams, fully funded, to, to six competitions a year. Uh, I think that made a big difference to our athletes. Making sure our athletes, you know, no one's getting rich off weightlifting, yeah. but we do pay amongst the best stipends in the Olympic movement to our top athletes. Um, and, and making sure that to get those, they have to be above, effectively above 15th in the world. That pushes our athletes up, our standards up. Um, you know, would I like to give more on our stipend program? Yes. May it be affected in the future by having to send more people to more competitions for Olympic qualification? Yes. Um, but right now, I think that's really been a help. And we're certainly trying to get more into the performance support area. Um, I don't think we're as far deep into that as we'd like to be. Um, I think our, our athletes will probably rightly say we've got some way to go with really supporting them. Um, outside of financially, uh, any of the things like sports med, you know, how's little things like the sleep schedule? How do you how do you really affect your sleep? And I know that sounds really small, but that's when you're coming to you know very small percentage changes at the top level of sport. That's very important. So you know, how do we manage that? How do we manage nutrition, et cetera, et cetera? How do we manage sports psychology? How do we manage injury prevention and those those are things where i don't think we're there yet and we really had no infrastructure pre-2016 and now we're really just trying to build that so it's it's like i say i think those are important but i just don't think we've built enough of it yet to really say we've, we've been successful data is another one you know at the pan ams we were able to to be smarter with the attempts that we selected because we knew more about the opposition than the opposition knew about us and i think that was a really important factor in in our success in miami 
Um, certainly in, in one or two cases where we were able to take a lift, which wasn't quite the maximum need for that particular lifter, um, but was able to get the gold medal. And that's what we we're there for. We weren't there for a PR. We weren't there for an American record. We were there for the gold medal. Yep. Um, and, and that's, and that's what, we, what we, went, we went in and we were successful with that. I think that's one thing I have to credit PRS DMAS for is because we haven't been in the top end of the sport, our mentality was somewhat based around how do we how do we beat our number? How do we become? A, how do we make a PR? How do we participate at Worlds? Not how do we beat that guy. So it, it's and I think Piros been coming from the, the level of sport that he does reminded us of that. Of sport is actually competition, not numbers. So it, it's numbers can tell you so much going in, but you know ultimately you got to beat what's in front of you. You got to take the number you need to, to win the meet. I think we knew that, but I think he really hammered it home for a lot of us. Um, and and that takes you know some belief as well that you know I think one of the other things that have changed and I think CJ Cummings deserves probably the most credit for this and to an extent Sarah Robles but certainly CJ is we can do it yeah. that it's you know CJ winning Junior Worlds in 2016 16 yes um, really helped us building that belief that you can win in weightlifting as an American. Um, and and then subsequently CJ repeating that in the youth worlds twice, Harrison winning the youth worlds, and then Harrison winning in a medal this year, together with Maddie, together with Sarah. I think that that has started to change our culture from one that says, "Okay, we're going to go, we're going to do a PR, we're going to do as best we can," to one that's going there, going, "We're going to kick some butt." What did, what so with? Piros there now, like what relationship does he have with personal coaches? How does that work in America at the moment? So we, we've, we've, we've definitely have seen or had some issues with, with developing all of those relationships just because of the sheer volume. The U.S. sends more athletes to IWF competitions than any other. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, in 2015, I think the number is 107, something like that. Uh, sorry, 2016. Uh, 2017, I haven't looked up the numbers yet, but it's it's going to be around about the same, perhaps a little bit more because of the additional weight category. Um, so that's a lot of athletes and a lot of personal coaches. Now, of course, there's some of those that have more than one. But, um, you know, he, he has been out in the field visiting with coaches. He's been an athlete, obviously. Um, he has been sp- uh, really speaking to them at, obviously, national competitions and at camps. Um, Mike Gatone shouldn't be under undercredited with that either, um, and has been doing a lot of that outreach as well, uh, particularly ahead of competition. Uh, Piros, unfortunately, has had to take some personal leave uh, over the last couple of months, um, so he hasn't been developing those relationships after Worlds as much as we'd hoped he might. Um, and he was only here from April last year. He made a big impact in that time, but that's when he started. So, so Piros has been a big influence along with Mike there, sort of a yin and a yang that definitely need each other. Piros has a lot of talents that, that Mike does not, and, and, and vice versa. So I think that, um, that there has been a hallmark of success in having the two of them together managing the competition. Um, I think that the, the, the relationship and the advanced conversations with the personal coach are essential. The best way that we see actually is somewhat based on the Russian model, which is the head coaches for the team plus the personal coach. Um, and it's that's the ultimate. Now, we have a coach funding model, which means that 
we don't always have the funding to send all of the personal coaches, especially when you have 16 athletes and 16 coaches, which can happen at the youth level and the and the junior level especially. Um, and, um, and but we do send sometimes four or five coaches with a team um, in order to try and get those results. We do that basically. Look at where you're going to place. If you're going to be in the top five of the junior worlds, we're sending your coach. Um, if we're going to be in the top eight of the worlds, we're sending your coach. So it's um, and and those coaches have some responsibilities with the whole team, but they're primarily going to coach Matty Rogers. They're primarily going to coach Sarah Rogers, to coach CJ Cummings, and that's their job is to continually think about CJ's needs, Harrison's needs throughout that time, and we could take care of the rest of the whole team. Could, it's, could, it's sort of a contentious. Oh, sorry, Daz, if you want to go, I was just going to touch more on that. It's sort of a contentious issue here in Australia about our coaching structure, and um, I personally would like to see a system like the one you've just talked about. It, on that, who has the final call? Because I think that's uh, one of the issues people have here is if you have a personal coach in that warm-up room, who, mm-hmm. who has final say? And, uh, yeah, I think... <laughs> if you get, you know, firsthand here, go a long way to us sort of making a decision on it here in Australia. There's a, technically it's the, it's Mike and Piros or actually Piros where he's there. And Mike is, is is effectively his deputy. Um, The reality is it's a discussion because you can't be disagreeing and and openly disagreeing in front of your athlete. uh, And you've got to build a trust between the personal coach now, I'll say this. It's not an approach that's without controversy. Um, you know, it, it's there are certainly some personal coaches who view that they should be able to pick the lineup of, of, of the athlete, of the, the coaches in the back room. And there are some personal coaches who believe that we should have either one, either or, Pierce or Mike, but not both, and, and be able to have two in the back room. And I can see our, our procedure actually allows for that, where we believe it to be the best for the athlete. But... It's, and I can see some arguments for when that might be the case and when that might be warranted. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to agreement. So what usually happens is we meet with the personal coach the night before. I say we, here is on mic, meet with the personal coach the night before and we talk about the attempts plan. And then it comes down to what's in competition. Um, and I think generally that's worked very well. Um, it's got to be, as I say, an agreement, really. Yes, the final say comes down to Piros, the point, but it's not the only say. Um, and I think that they, that conversation helps sometimes even the personal coach because it's sometimes easy to be more positive than you ought to be. That's the wrong words. It's it's easy to overestimate where you can go as a personal coach to be too passionate about the situation and not be as impassionate about the numbers. Now, we may slightly adjust that model as we go forward because we're now not quite as reliant on team points for Olympic qualification as we were in the last quad, and and our system is set up based on that. Everything's about Olympic qualification and then winning medals at the Olympic Games. So now we have to change that a little bit. That bit I'm not sure I see particularly changing, but I do see that there is is room for some change in, in, in how we select and how we fund teams based upon the need for Olympic qualifications as an individual versus the previous need as a team. We're, we're less reliant now on, on the individual's attempts. But that said, we do want to see the best result. You know, we did, for me personally, I'm, and this is a well-known 
concept. I don't like seeing necessarily seeing American records in an international competition. If it makes sense, it's great. Do it. Get it done. If that's the if that's the the amount you need to take on the bar. If that's the amount you need to take because that's going to win the medal, obviously put the American record on the bar. Yeah. But don't do it just to do it. You know, it, it's it's one of the things I've really appreciated about Sarah Robler's attempt selection, both at Worlds and the Olympics, was she was actually just a couple of kilos belief in both cases, sure, how was American records. And I think that's really a valuable lesson to learn from, from Sarah, who went six for six in both of those competitions and was bronze medalist in the Olympics and world champion last year. And I'm not necessarily saying we've had bad attempt selection elsewhere. I'm really not saying that we've had some really great attempt selection. But the both by personal coaches and by um, and, and by our, our staff coaches, if you like, Pierce and Mike. But what I really appreciated about Sarah's attempts was they were just below. And she can go to a nationals anytime she wants and set those American records to attempt. But what she did was she took the list required for the day. She took the list required for her goal. That day was a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. That day was a world championship. And that's that's what I appreciate about Tim and and you know, we had Tim, Kyle, Pierce and, and Zygmunt on in the Olympics, Tim, Pierce and Mike in, in the World Championships. It was really good attempt selection, really was. And if you look at some of the attempt selections across the board, you can see that some of that change over the course of the past few years. And that's not just Pierce and Mike that has been our coaches as well, as they've come smarter and more competitive. Making those attempts, not just to set American records, but making those attempts to really put the competition and, and get the best result from that competition possible. Best, and by result, I don't mean how many kills. I mean yeah. number of the placement. Yeah. yeah. So what sort of involvement outside, like throughout the training year, does Pyrrhus have with the personal coaches? Yeah, great question. What was that? Sorry, what was the... the just, Mate, that was my I'm, best I'm question. Fuck. Oh. This is outrageous. No, I, I was just saying, what, what sort of involvement does Pyrrhus have throughout See, the, throughout the, the training? The problem year? is you just have to understand that you're wrong. It's inherent. You've been speaking a bit. First of all, you guys... I have to understand that that you guys have a state province called Queensland, right? It's beautiful. as Cairns, as Brisbane, wonderful. It's really not right because the whole thing is the Queensland. So it's <laughs> second, who needed a new South Wales? I mean, I've been to South Wales. I have friends who live in South Wales and Cardiff Devils are a good hockey team. <laughs> Who needed a new one of those? Who looked at Swansea and went, yep, we're going to rename that Sydney and put it in the place in Australia and call it New South Wales. Not New Wales. New South Wales. It's like, what happened? It's, it's, there's so many unanswered questions about Australia. It's probably, not, it's probably not a good time to mention I'm a member of the Australian Republican movement. But, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll move on. Well, and, 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 and you're welcome to that. And as an American citizen, I understand you're entitled to your political views. However, as a British citizen, I understand that we own you. So it's it's 
<laughs> so true. it's it's I have great. I can play the American card and say, hey, all about the Republic. Get yourself out of the Commonwealth. It's fantastic. I live here. It's a, it's a beautiful country. And it is. America is wonderful. Um, but as a British citizen, I can play that card too uh, and say, hi, you're, you live in the Queensland. Um, still, anyway, still the, uh, what was your question? <laughs> I was, I was, uh, Would you I like was more just... information on how exactly we own you in four different ways? No, no, I've got it. <laughs> I've been dealt. Uh, I was just saying, what what, inter- what what interaction does does Piros have with the personal coaches throughout the year outside of competition? What in- That's what really by phone calls. Yeah. We've we've actually just brought in that will increase this year, and we've just brought in a new electronic system to, to sort of make a somewhat remote um, remote training hall almost um, through an online system that we can able to be or are able to communicate directly with coaches and athletes on the ground through an app. Um, and I think that's really going to be helpful to us. We've not rolled it out yet. We've informed coaches and athletes it's coming, but we've not really rolled it out as such, which I think that's going to be very impactful for Piros and Mike to be able to give that on a wider basis. At the moment, they're required to like, you know, some guys post to Instagram, some guys might text a, a video some guys might email a video, um, and that's fine. They're all fine ways of, of showing what you can do. Um, we're personally not big fans of going into a major, major competition such as Worlds of, of every lift being on Instagram, um, especially lifts above your PR. Um, but that's fine. It can work, and ultimately the other lifter can only do what they can do. You, can't, you can do. It's not the end of the earth. It's just I don't think we're particularly – the um, the that's going to increase at the moment. It's it's been really making phone calls to those athletes, phone calls to those lifters before competition. Obviously, that happened more with Worlds than anything else. As I say, he's been away on some personal leave recently, and unfortunately, he's not been able to interact as much as he would like or we would like with with, with those lifters and with those personal coaches. Um, we we're also doing our, our first ever coaching symposium. Um, in Chicago in July, and and we hope to um, be able to share a lot of time away from a meet with with our personal coaches there. I hope they'll love and come. Um, and and that's another opportunity. Just build those relationships, build the time out, build the relation between Piros and Mike, and and also Lance and Lorraine who are in our performance team on the initiative side. Um, with with those personal coaches and, and finding out really what they need because ultimately the personal coach is the person with the athlete every day uh, and we need to you know it, it's it's the phrase is athlete centric um athlete centric but uh, but coach um communicated and um and the the coach really has a lot of the information that we need. So does the athlete, and I think we have to speak to both. And some athletes say, hey, can you just speak to me, please? And some say, hey, can you just speak to my coach, please? And and that's fine. Either of those ought to be respected, and it's about how each athlete uh, responds. And I'm also of the view that there is not one coach for every athlete. Yeah. Um, and I think we proved that when we brought Ian Wilson into the training center. That Sigmund is, is known as a great coach, especially in the gym. And he really just did not do well under Zig, and that makes doesn't make Zig a bad coach in any way. It just means that it wasn't the right fit for for Ian. And I think that we have to recognise that there are good coaches that might not necessarily be good for a particular athlete, and there are good coaches who may be good for a different athlete. Yeah. 
So it, it's, and I think that's that's where the diversity of America and American weightlifting has really helped us. Um, and where we need to work with, it whilst I think we can learn things like, you know, how does Russia recruit? How does Indonesia recruit? How does Japan recruit, et cetera? How do they develop technique? I think those are really important things to learn. What are they doing better than us? And how can we catch up and how, and how can we more importantly overtake um, in those areas? The other thing we have to remember is we are America. And we should be proud of being America and work within our own systems. Yep. So, you know, this comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the age-old thinking is you have to be a weightlifter since you were 11. And there's some evidence to suggest that might be right. But that's also somewhat based upon what's done in other countries. So it, it's um, and done in the Chinese system and, and what have you. But yes, you know, Chinese system, they go into gymnastics and they typically come into weightlifting a little bit later. I think that's very, very good. And funnily enough, it's very similar to Harrison but they become a singular athlete and that's fine. It works in their model, but it can't work in America because we don't have that model. We have a different culture. We have a different way of working our sports. We have a different way of, of life here. And we have to respect that way of life in how we work as an organization, how we work with our coaches and our athletes. And I think that honestly, for me, I actually like being decentralized. I think it was a sad day when the Olympic training center closed in Colorado Springs, but overall I think we've gained. I really do. I think we're better as a decentralized system than we were as a centralized system. And it may be that that changes in the future when we are at a time at some point when a centralized system makes sense. But the right now, I like the decentralized system. I like our personal coaches in, in the field. I like the, the way that they bring diversity to the table. And I like the fact that each athlete has some almost dedicated sort of full time to their, to their needs. Mate, from the outside looking in, what, what you've done and what you guys are doing is working. Like, I don't think anyone can argue against it. And uh, we're certainly jealous of it over here in Australia. Oh, 100%. 100%. You got any other questions, Simon? Uh, not really. I, I, I've got more information out of this than I have probably in the last five years. I'm speaking to people around here, but it's... um. No, I just, like I had a bunch of questions written down and you addressed them all. So, Mate, thanks for your time, Phil. Oh, wow. we'll, we'll leave the podcast there. Really appreciate it, mate. And uh, we'd love cool. to have you back. Get some coffee. Again. Mate, yeah, we need coffee. Coffee back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mate, thanks again, Phil. Really appreciate it, mate. Yeah. No problem, anytime. And if anybody has any questions, uh, my email is phil.andrews at usawearlifting.org. And, uh, I give you my cell phone number, but I think most people are Australian that are listening, so that kind of doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but the, um, but the, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to be available to anybody um, and uh, keep pushing weightlifting in Australia. We want to see a strong Australian team. Um, as, a, as the US, we want to be competing against a strong Australia, a strong Britain, a strong Germany, uh, strong France, yeah. you know, strong countries uh, that we, we like competing against, strong Canada also, as well as many other countries. You know, it's for us, Part of our, our mission we see is to, is to grow the sport generally. Um, and as a leading nation in sport, full stop, I think the U.S. has somewhat on its shoulders to do that. Um, and, and I hope that we, we, do, we do contribute towards that within weightlifting. But, you know, I'm, I'm super honored that you guys asked a, a British guy who lives in America to come on an Australian program. Um, and, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing great work in the club. Um, you know, I've seen great Australian teams being put out. I think you guys have got some talent there in Australia. Um, if I can be of any help to, to you guys, to any club in Australia, or more importantly, perhaps to the, to the AWF, I'm more than happy to be. So, 
um, oh. and I'll see uh, Australia, Australia versus the US, where I can uh, give you one a very less friendly face. Um, yeah. And uh, and and uh, you know, all I ask is you're just one kilo below us. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough, mate. Yeah, we can do that. We're, we're all into that. Thanks, um, Bill. Let's chat soon, mate. That-